listening to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. Hi, my name's Mark, and it's great to have you joining us today uh, for Red Online Church. And we pray that wherever you are, however you're watching this, whenever you're watching this, that God will speak to you as we open his word. We're going to continue with a series that we're in the midst of, which is a series looking at the moves that God, we believe, wants to make in the world. We're calling this Renew and Reform, which is a reference to the fact that God wants to renew his people, empowering them, moving things forward through the power of his Holy Spirit. Whilst also rebuilding and reforming us, his church, the world, at the same time. These two moves, renew, reform. And today what we're going to look at is how God wants to renew and reform how we see relationships. To do this, we want to open the scriptures. We're going to do that in the book of Ephesians, which is the Apostle Paul writing a letter to the church in Ephesus in the first century. We're going to pick it up in chapter 2 and we're going to start in verse 17. Speaking of Jesus, Paul says this. He came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And Paul here is talking of the divisions that were between Jew and Gentile or Jew and non-Jew, which through Christ were now being brought together. Verse 19 says this. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, which means so much more here than just simply a bunch of people who live in a house, a nuclear family or a group of friends. This is a much bigger idea of a household. That's a whole collection of people. This household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, using this building language to describe a new kind of people that he is building in the world. And the cornerstone, the element at the bottom, the foundation which holds it all together is Jesus. Verse 21, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We're going to dig into this more, but this is a grand vision of the people of God and their relationships, their interconnections, their social life being this new kind of construction that God is building in the world, not seen in bricks and mortar, but this spiritual reality. And in the midst of these relationships, this becomes the dwelling place of God's power and his presence. All of us understand that as human beings, there is something in us which is built for relationship. Whether you are an introvert or an extrovert, there is still this reality that all of us feel this need to communicate with others, to be around others. It's really just that conversation around extroverts and introverts is just really how much. Aristotle said almost two and a half thousand years ago that man is by nature a social animal. 
Anyone who either cannot lead the common life or is so self-sufficient as to not need to and therefore does not need to partake of society is either a beast or a god. What he means by that is that if you do not need relationships in some way, there's something which is almost inhuman about you. And one of the really interesting things is that we approach relationships at a time where relationships have been deconstructed, taken apart in ways unseen in the whole of human history. The pandemic has in many ways accelerated so many different trends in the world. One of the trends that is accelerated almost to an extreme is what was happening in the Western world and other parts of the developed world where the communal relational patterns in which people lived, deeply enmeshed in deep commitment relationships, is transforming to something far more looser, something which connect with someone on the other side of the world but has looser ties. We've shifted from the communal to the digital. And what the pandemic has done is that has been ratcheted up at this incredible rate where very quickly in a couple of weeks, things that we took for granted, like going to a restaurant, dropping on a friend's house, going to a birthday party. Do you think ever, I have this feeling sometimes, like I think about, I think it was the end of last year, we had a volunteers gathering at a cafe near um, here And it was just, there's photos. I looked at my phone and it is filled with wall-to-wall people all close in, not social distancing. And I look at that picture and it's almost shocking to me now. And we took stuff like that for granted. We took the fact that we could gather in church services with hundreds of people and talk and move around and people shake hands, hug and socialize. All of that we took for granted. But then there was this sense where that pre-existing trend of a move from the communal to the digital like went at hyperspeed in a couple of weeks. And so we still relate to other people. We still talk to other people, but it's constrained. It's opening up now in Melbourne, but so much of what 2020 has been is relationships, but mediated through these curtains, these veils of the digital. Now, one of the ways that I have often thought about how this is all playing out in the West is to imagine that as humans, we have key needs, as Aristotle pointed to there as human beings. What Aristotle pointed out is that if you can imagine like we have a tank or a bucket that needs to be filled to a healthy level of relationships. To be a human, you need to have that filled with relationships. Maybe again, if you're an introvert, it's a bit lower. If you're an extrovert, it's a bit higher. But all of us as social creatures, need to have a healthy balance of relationships in our life. Now, we also have something that is a key value in the West, which we as a culture, 21st century Australian culture, has pushed deeply into. And that's also the tank, the need, the bucket, if you like, in the human being for freedom. There are people in the world who are suffering from an absolute lack of freedom at this time who a political prisoner put away for their beliefs or someone in a terrible totalitarian dictatorship like North Korea where you have almost no freedom. You can't choose what to think. You can't speak your thoughts out. You are literally almost under lock and key and surveillance 24-7. And that sense of being a human being who has their own will and thought is completely thwarted. 
So all humans need freedom. But what's really interesting in the West is that our levels of freedom are almost overflowing. The solution that the West has to so many of its problems is to just offer more and more freedom. The other bucket that I believe that humans have is the bucket of meaning. We all need to have a sense that what we're doing is part of a bigger story, that there is consequence. Some people may proclaim that we live in a cosmic accident, but few actually live like that. And if you actually live like that, you're almost censured from society for being someone who does not care and is heartless. Viktor Frankl wrote a famous book, which is currently having a second run, Man's Search for Meaning, where he lived through the Nazi death camps and discovered that the people who survived were not those who were the most physically strong, but actually those who found a sense of meaning. Frankel himself imagined after this terrible experience, himself teaching and lecturing and writing about what he learned in the camps. And it was that sense of meaning, of reframing the terrible thing that he was going through with a sense of meaning. That's actually what got humans through these terrible situations. Now, we have an imbalance across these buckets. We have an overflowing freedom where you can choose to buy what you want, jump on a plane, order what you want as a restaurant, define yourself in any way, come up with whatever hobbies you want, create whatever living arrangements you want in the world, to move around and do so many things in the West. That is 21st century Australian life. That's what we value so highly. And what was happening was it was like the water in the relationship bucket was slowly disappearing. We were taking water out of that to put it into the freedom bucket because there's actually a trade off between the two. To get into a relationship, be it a marriage, a friendship, to join a church, volunteer at a club or a society, you have to give up some of your freedom to do that. And increasingly, we're told that's not worth doing that bargain. So what's happening is the freedom bucket is overflowing to the point where literally many people feel anxious at the sheer vast array of choices and freedom that we have. But when you look across the Western world, the developed world, everywhere from Scandinavia to South Korea and Japan, Increasingly, governments are struggling with the health crisis that's emerging of depression and loneliness and isolation and dislocation as people become more and more socially adrift, cut off from meaningful relationships. Technology offers us the ability to connect with people on the other side of the world, to play an online computer game with people gathering from all over the planet, to have these really wide but what sociologists call weak ties. What we lack is the strong ties. The people who, when something bad happens to you, will be there for you. The people who won't always just tell you what you want to hear, but sometimes in love call you up on something. The people who've got your back no matter what. And so our freedom is overflowing, but our community bucket is increasingly getting to the bottom. And in the midst of this, What's really interesting is humans are also desiring meaning. As the freedom bucket overflows, you see all around the world at the moment, people jumping into politics, people arguing online, this increased polarization we see, people believing all kinds of different things because we're searching for meaning and sometimes looking for it in all the weirdest places. 
And because the West as a secular culture has discouraged people for looking for meaning, because in a sense, we've almost said like the eternal Christianity, God, that's off the radar. We don't want to talk about that in polite society. What it means sometimes then is we've over, at the moment when we're draining the bucket of community, at the same time, we're idealizing it and we're romanticizing it. So we have the romantic comedy where the lost and lonely individual in the world finally finds the person of their dreams, a soulmate, and live happily ever after, finding almost a spiritual salvation in that relationship. We have this sense where people join something bigger, a political movement. They give themselves for something and join these relationships. People who join a group of friends that we see on TV, these shows about three or four or five people who are the bestest buddies in the world, who almost act like a surrogate family. We have those ads for nappies of that mum who is there with the newborn who literally looks beatific. Is that the word? Beatific. Beatific who looks like they're just on absolute cloud nine and there's always soft, hazy lights and this really soft focus as they look at their child and smile and everything's wonderful, which I'm sure I know happens at some times, but is a far cry from the reality of being a new parent, as many of you watching this at 9 p.m. tonight after trying to watch this all day, uh, find out, getting through all the different uh, naps and so on and lack of sleep. So we idolize all these different kinds of community and sometimes we even idolize community in the church, overloading these things with meaning, seeing them as ends in themselves to actually fill some sort of God-shaped hole within us. Now, the fall, when humans break relationship with God. What we see in the book of Genesis, in that moment when Adam and Eve in the garden find themselves rebelling against God's rule, relationship is broken with God, but also relationship is broken between Adam and Eve. It then cascades like a set of dominoes. Cain and Abel's relationship as fraternal brothers turns to murder. We see this thing going social with the Tower of Babylon when people try to join together to create this great great project through the sense of being bound together in this political communal force and then sent out into the world speaking different languages. And so we see the breaking down of relationships going out into the world. So at this exact moment in which we're idealizing relationships, seeing them as saving us, and we have this romantic view of relationships, we in real time, in the real world, experience the pain of relationships at the same time. That that romantic relationship, maybe there's all the hormones flowing at the beginning, but then the reality of being with someone who is different and you're broken and they're broken, that you're a sinner and they're a sinner, and the realities of what that looks like all of a sudden starts to pull the, the wool from under your eyes. I don't think we have wool under our eyes. Um, the rug under, the woolen rug from under your feet. 
the sense that you have a great group of friends, but then there is this weird social hierarchy that is so often at play, rarely spoken about, that can happen in the group of friends, that can happen amongst all the workmates, where someone's top dog, someone's alpha male, someone's alpha female, everyone wants to impress them, and lunchtime becomes, honestly, World War III, as people jockey for position. We see this in the sense in churches, the people of God, which sometimes can become the most political environments instead of encouragement and exhortation, sometimes filled with gossip and slander, where actually the moves of God are prevented because people are holding on to a sense of community by putting that head of Christ. One way to look at this is to look at this through the paradigm that we have been exploring through this series and at the end of the last series. This understanding that the Bible talks about us as humans existing in three parts. We have our body, which is fairly self-explanatory, your bones, your skin, your nervous system, your interface with the world. But then we have this other part of us, this inner part of us, our soul. You can see your skin and your body but you can't see in your soul. Your soul, not so much meaning this Casper the ghost eternal part of us, but rather the ego, the desires, the will, the thoughts, the opinions, the feelings. And then this other part, this part of us, the spirit, which was deadened at sin. And so humans in the garden dwelt with God, spirit to spirit. But when sin came into the world, our spirit was deadened. And we began to look for Meaning in the soul, in our feelings, in our egos, in our desires, in our wants, in our opinions. And to so much of how we interact with the world of relationships actually comes through the soul. Which is really the self-life. The relationship that makes you feel better. The negotiation, which is really about your ego your desire to be in a relationship where your freedom is still there and the ability to duck out when the commitment gets a bit scary. The sense of a community of people where really it's actually about this group pushing their opinion against that group. And so much of human relationships from a romantic relationship that's finding yourself in trouble, a group of friends that have fallen out to literally full-scale war between countries where pride and rage an offense, an unforgiveness, and the desire to be ahead and to not see the other people's perspective becomes this continual firestorm in the world. So we need relationships. Aristotle is right. We are created to be people in relationship with others. We are to live in a culture which tells us that you're going to find meaning through relationships. So we desperately go after them. And sometimes they are wonderful. But also other times they're deeply painful and sin and other people's brokenness, our brokenness gets in the way. Well, I want to turn back to what Ephesians tells us. This passage where Paul is speaking to a real-time group of people trying to live together, people from different ethnic groups, religious groups, Jews and Gentiles coming together, this group of men and women, people at different social strata classes, all these people coming together in a really unusual way, 
that's not even tribal, that breaks the categories. But what is at the center of them is they have met Jesus Christ. They understand that he's doing something new in the world. So again, I want to read this again and listen to this now with all that setup. He came and preached peace to you. Jesus needs to bring peace, shalom, to the world of human relationships. His message, his gospel is good news to social creatures that are humans because he is showing us a way forward. Through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. That we all have unity through being in our spirits linked to God's spirit. So therefore, when that spirit is placed central, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Now, this is really key. Citizen here, when Paul's writing, it means something. There were some people in the Greco-Roman world, or the Roman Empire rather, which had citizenship, and this meant a lot. Today, if you have an Australian passport, when we could travel, that means you can get into a lot of countries. There are other passports that if you have an Iraqi passport or a Syrian passport, it's a lot harder to get around the world. But as a citizen of Australia, you have particular benefits in this country that people who don't have that citizenship don't have. And so in the Roman Empire, Paul, there's a moment where Paul is under threat And he's had a Roman citizenship and he pulls that out and says he has it. And that then creates him this access, this place in society. So to have Roman citizenship meant something. But what Paul is saying here is there is another kind of intangible citizenship that is at play now. And that's a citizenship, not in any nation, human grouping or relationship of this world, but comes through the kingdom that's breaking out in the world. You're a citizen of God's kingdom which transcends all the others. And so these people, some who were Roman citizens, some who weren't, some who were Jews and Gentiles and probably Egyptians and people from all over the known world, men and women, young and old, different classes, all of them through Jesus Christ, through their spirits, communing now with Christ's spirit, had the ability to be a new kind of citizen in the world. This is something new. Verse 30, this Members, let's go back one step, also becoming members of his household. This citizenship also brought you into a new kind of family that was emerging in the world. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. That what the Holy Spirit is doing in the world is building a new kind of human relationship here, a new social structure. It's really hard to see, but at the center of all of this is actually Christ. It's Christ. And in him, Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. One of the really simple illustrations of this is sometimes given uh, if you've ever done maybe pre-marriage counseling at a church where we have this simple triangle diagram. And this is so simple. It's been used so many times, but it's actually brilliant. So often what we do in human relationships is we approach human relationships directly. There is this 
sense in us to fill, to feed our soul with human relationships. And human relationships can do that. Friendship is good. Family is important. Being part of a bigger group is wonderful. The beginnings of a romantic relationship can be fantastic. But there's a sense where when we approach things directly, they often go wrong. And so what this simple diagram points out is that actually when we move towards Jesus, pursuing him together, that actually we become equipped and empowered and reformed for relationships. Jesus at the center of the Trinity, connected to Father and Spirit, lives in the midst of a relationship. At the center point of everything is the relationship of the Trinity. And so as we become more Christ-like, we become more like that interconnectivity, that fellowship, that friendship between those elements of the Trinity. That the more we live for Christ, we're more able to live for others. And so therefore, as we move towards Christ-likeness, we actually become closer to each other, not as a primary output, but actually as a secondary thing. Go after relationships directly and we mess it up. Go after Christ and we're equipped as we then learn to interact with the world through our spirit, interacting with relationships in the way that Jesus would have interacted in relationships, more filled with him than just with our own sense of self. No, not everyone you're in relationship is on that triangle. Not everyone is moving up towards Christ. But the point still remains that the best thing we can do for relationships is to actually bring God into the midst of them. That if you are watching at home and before you is a romantic relationship, a marriage, a friendship, a group social dynamic, something at work, something even at Red Church, in a family, whatever it may be, that the invitation at this moment is to actually take those relationships, to pray for the renewal of the Holy Spirit, for new empowerment and his breath to blow into those spaces, to you to be reformed in Christ-likeness. And as we are reformed in Jesus, to actually then our relationships are reformed. Does it always go perfectly? No. Jesus was himself hurt at times. At points, Jesus found family seemingly rejected him. But what God is doing in the world is actually building us into something new, knitting us together as his people. And when we pursue him, when we commune with him in spirit, then we are being joined together as the people of God. So we're at this really interesting moment. For the last few months, we have been cut off from relationships in a way we never would have thought have happened. We took relationships for granted. And then in isolation of lockdown, of quarantine, that got taken away from us where we realized how important relationships were to us. 
And so there's this deep sense. You can feel it at the moment. Maybe some of you are watching this early because you're heading off to the park to catch up with some people. Maybe you went out to a restaurant for the first time last night. Maybe you went and watched your kids play sport at the park for the first time for months and spoke to others. Maybe there's this sense that after this, after watching this, maybe you're getting together with people from Red for the first time outdoors to connect and again, get into that social sphere. So, so many of us, are so eager to restart the relationships that were paused when the pandemic began. But I want to challenge us. I want to ask the question, what if this is not a restart? This is actually a reset. And what if the Holy Spirit is actually inviting us to move forward in a new way, placing him at the center, where instead of trying to do relationships with a friendships or family or even church relationships, and even Christian community through our soulish strength. And instead, begin to live as people where our spirit is communing with Christ's spirit. Where we're following what we spoke about last week, his intuition, through that communion with him, our conscience speaking and being led by the Father. We need a renewal and a reformation of relationships. And the good thing is that God is doing this in the world as he brings together his people in this new way. So how does Red as a church relate to each other? We don't do it by just going after community. We do it through going after Christ and following him together into the new living temple that he's building in the world as his presence then begins to inhabit those spaces and places between us and our relationships become a dwelling place of his power and his presence. I want to pray now. And my sense is that for each of you, coming out of lockdown, there's a sense where relationships have been really pressing and present. Maybe for some people it's the absence of relationships, friendships, maybe the absence of Someone, maybe it's relational difficulties with friends, with family, of even in church. Maybe you've been working from home for so long and you just miss the physical presence, the sound of background shatter. Whatever it is, I want to invite us at this point, as we begin to re-enter, to place on the altar these relationships. So let's pray. Father, whatever it may be, a friendship, a family, dynamics, relational difficulties, marriages, workplaces, even church, maybe even huddles. Father, we place these on the altar before you. We recognize the times that we try and do this out of our own strength. And we just say before you, we cannot do human relationships in our own strength any longer. We're people who are broken, but we're also people who have been saved by you. That in us, there's a new creation when we follow you, Jesus. And Father, we want to pray for that new creation to come into these relationships, into these friendships, into marriages, into family, into parents with children, into family dynamics, into workplace dynamics, into church dynamics. 
even into bigger social dynamics, neighborhood dynamics. Father, we pray that the new thing that you're doing in the world, this renewal that you want to bring, this reformation that you want to bring, Father, make us more like you. Help us to place you at the center of every relationship, realizing that we can never find home in any relationship until we find home in you. So we put down any ways in which we may have idealized, idolized relationships. And instead we look at you, hopeful that you're building something new in the world. And Father, when Red Church, whenever it is, we are back together in the way that we were before, Mark us by people who gather around you. Build us into a new people, citizens of a different kingdom in the world. A dwelling place of your spirit. Free us from any work of the enemy that has come to sow division and discord, jealousy or quarreling, hurt or offense. Father, in all those spaces come. You're filled with love. You are the peacemaker, prince of peace. Bring your peace, as Ephesians says, to us, into all our relational spaces, as us as social beings. We need you in the midst of us, we pray, Jesus. Heal us, reform us, renew us. In your name, amen.